Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Tanvir Nasir, CEO of Tanvir Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers both virtual and in-person keynotes, as well as corporate training and consulting services. To learn more about the type of leadership topics we can address, visit our company's website at tanvernasir.com, where you can also read my writings on leadership on my award-winning, internationally acclaimed leadership blog. As this is our last episode for 2020, I decided I wanted to do something special, which I hope will become a new annual tradition for this podcast. On my leadership blog, I wrote a piece titled, How Will You Remember 2020?, where I address this growing sentiment many of us share of wanting to just do away with 2020. While it's understandable in light of all the challenges we faced in 2020, I wrote how it's important that we not overlook how those hardships and challenges provided us with insights and things we've had to learn that would serve us well going forward, and especially once the COVID-19 pandemic inevitably ends up in our collective rearview mirror. I'd like to invite you to read this piece on my leadership blog at tanvernasir.com, as I'm sure it'll give you some food for thought about this year and what we should carry forward going into 2021. So, in keeping with this idea, I thought it'd be nice to look back on the many conversations I've had with guests on this show over the past year and share my favorite moments from those conversations that deserve a second look. Now, this isn't going to be a top 10 list of sorts, though I will be creating one based on what were the most popular episodes with you, the listeners of this podcast, but more on that later. Instead, what I'd like to do is share moments from past episodes that offer insights that are both timely in terms of the challenges we're all dealing with right now and timeless in how they can also help us gain a stronger hold on what we need to consider and reflect on if we are to improve on the way we lead. And to start things off, my first favorite moment comes from episode number 49, where I spoke with Cisco Chair and IMD Director Michael Wade about the real potential behind digital business transformation. Now, if there's one thing that we all had to adapt to in 2020, it was learning how to best utilize digital channels like Zoom or Microsoft Teams. It certainly made for a surreal experience to have both parents and their children being on Zoom at the same time as we pivoted to working and learning at home. And naturally, this sudden pivot has made many leaders realize that digital business transformation has not only arrived, but it's here to stay, with the understandable question arising of how will this impact the way they lead. In this moment from my conversation with Michael, he shares an important point about how we should view digital business transformation. Well, we define uh, digital business transformation as organizational change through the use of digital tools, technologies, and business models to improve performance. So simply put, that's the, that's the objective, is to improve performance. And one of the key insights, and it's, it's an obvious insight, but it's, but it's not often followed, is that you know, the objective of these digital transformations is not to be more digital. That may be an outcome, but it's not the objective. The, you know, digit, you know, becoming more digital is, is and should be a means to an end. You know, it's, it's a way to, to achieve some kind of objective. It's not the objective by itself. Um, so you, do, you define, you know, uh, your, your, your listeners define what the objective is. Maybe for them it's increasing revenue. Maybe it's reducing 
cost, maybe it's increasing market share, maybe it's increasing NPS scores, whatever it is. And then the best way to achieve those objectives is to think about how digital can get you there faster. If your objective is to become more digital, you can by all means achieve that goal. All you need to do is give consultants a lot of money and they will, they will get you there, but it will not necessarily improve your performance. Of course, digital business transformation wasn't the only issue that arose in 2020. Another big challenge leaders and their employees faced this past year and will continue to well into 2021 and beyond is being able to truly disconnect from work. With our offices now being just a five-minute walk away from our kitchen, or in some cases our kitchen became our office, it became even easier for us to be even more busy than we were before the pandemic. Add to this the seemingly endless stream of Zoom conference calls, and it just felt like we never had the chance to, as my physics professor used to say, come up for air. In episode number 51, I asked Victoria Rules Olson, senior leadership consultant at Franklin Covey, how can we tell when we really need to take a step back and give ourselves time to restore and rejuvenate so that we have the emotional and mental energy required to handle what's to come? Yeah, that, that's a brilliant question. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that. We, we talk about it as unseasonable imbalances and you kind of get into this crazy hectic period and before you know it that crazy hectic part is kind of your new normal and you can't walk out of there and you kind of even if you might not be that busy you still keep up on that rate so what what I do for myself is ahead of time so for example I know that the next month for me involves a lot of traveling a lot of facilitation and keynotes so then I already now book in and I call them ego days. So it's like a day just for myself to really relax. And just like you, I can feel that it sometimes it's like you, you come up, you come to these days when it's like, okay, now it's time to relax. And you're so upwinded that you can't really relax. So let's not put too much pressure maybe on, you know, like on these relaxing days, they can just be like going for a nice hike or, or, or find some time for yourself. But what I also do is I have some days that are a little bit more strategic relaxation, a time to really sort of look back at, Hey, how am I doing? How are things going according to where I want to be? So it's, more like strategy days. And they're not entirely the same because one day is kind of just resting, getting back into it. Maybe it's doing some mild yoga, going for a massage or doing these kind of things. And I, I, I did... So I did see a comment. So I'm I'm blogging for Thrive Global, and some there was a question saying, "Hey, what do you do when you have 15 minutes? That you know that you get up for some reason you get 15 minutes in the day." And I really try to use those 15 minutes to go for a walk, because that is something that is really relaxing for me. And I don't listen to any podcasts. I don't listen to anything. Ideally, if I'm close to nature, I'd like to go out in nature. And I think you need to find these not super ambitious moments to do those things, but also see it as this is a strategic 
investment in me. This is not being lazy or, or trying not to work, but this is so that I can think even better tomorrow. Now, before I go on to my next favorite podcast moment in 2020, I'm sure some of you keen listeners might have heard Victoria mention how she had a lot of traveling to do in the next month to help illustrate her strategy of the importance of making time for yourself, or what she called ego days. Of course, some of these conversations on my podcast happened just before COVID-19 became a pandemic which is why these moments stood out for me because of how timely they are and how much I know you'll benefit from hearing them again. And by the way, if you listen to this episode, you'll hear how I asked Victoria how we can make time to rest. So we're ready for that next big wave. Talk about how timing can really change the meaning of your words. Okay, so let's move on to my next favorite moment from 2020. And this one is from episode number 65, where my guest was ink columnist Peter Economy. Now, I've been reading Peter's column for a number of years, and so it was a real treat to get the chance to talk shop with him about leadership. And in this moment, Peter shares some important insights on how leaders should be measuring employee performance, another issue that leaders found themselves having to reassess as a result of their employees now working from home. The first thing is you've got to set standards and goals. Um, everybody needs to know what they're supposed to be doing. In fact, LinkedIn, uh, their LinkedIn learning uh, group, uh, did a survey a couple of years ago and, and asked them, what's the most single frustrating trait you've experienced in a manager? So this is asking people about their managers. And the top thing that, that, that these 3,000 professionals said was that having expectations that aren't clear or that frequently change so you've really got to let your people know what to expect and what you're expecting from them. And you do that by setting standards and goals with your people. You know, that's, that's an iterative process you go through together. You don't just lay this on them. You, you work through it together. And then you, um, the next thing you do is you continuously give specific feedback. So this is part of that feedback loop we were just talking about. Um, as people work toward um, their goals, as they work toward doing things in the organization, provide them with that specific feedback uh, on a, a continuous basis. Again, daily is not too often. Um, and, and obviously there's times when you've got to give them negative feedback when they're not doing things as, as they have said they would or as you expect them to. And, and you correct them. You, you provide those course corrections along the way. But obviously, the, the best thing to do is to provide positive feedback. That, that works. That's more powerful. It works better. Um, then you also want to prepare written and formal performance evaluations. I mean, that is certainly a part of the process, too. Um, you do want formal performance evaluations, and those are usually on a scheduled basis, maybe quarterly, maybe semi-annually, maybe annually, depends on your organization. And then at the end of that process, when you've gone through the um, performance evaluation with your employees and you set new standards, you set new goals, um, you always want to keep people moving forward. You always want to keep them uh, learning more, developing, uh, getting better at their jobs, um, being ready to take on new jobs, um, to be promoted. So setting new standards, new goals with your people is is, is the, the next step. And then you just keep going through that loop over and over again. Again, as was the case with Victoria's point, Peter's idea here on how to better measure employee performance wasn't in response to how employees are working remotely and will probably continue to do so at least part-time once this global pandemic is over. 
But you can see how applying this strategy can really help give greater clarity for both leaders and employees over what's expected of them and how they'll be evaluated regardless of where they get the work done. Of course, whether we're working in the office or working remotely, there's no question that your organization's culture plays a major role not only in who you're able to attract to work for your organization, but also how well you're able to tap into the full potential of every employee on your team. In episode number 61, I spoke with Dr. Timothy Clark about a subject that's received a lot of attention over the course of this year, namely psychological safety. And in this moment, Timothy sheds some much-needed light on why we struggle with creating a workplace environment that's truly inclusive, as well as some much-needed encouraging words for what lies ahead. Well, let's go back to the why question, Tanvir, first. Why do... Why do we struggle with this so much? We struggle because of the universal human condition of being insecure. Human beings are insecure. And they want to fit in uh, and they want to matter and they want to be important. So let's go back to the principle of inclusion safety that you touched on. The way that I frame it in the book is to say that worth precedes worthiness. So, Inclusion safety is based on your worth, your inherent intrinsic worth as a human being. Worthiness comes later. Issues of performance and are you measuring up, that comes later. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about inherent worth. So if you're human and you're harmless, then you are entitled to inclusion safety. It's a human right. It's not something that you earn. It's something that you're owed. And think about how much we struggle with this. It's crazy uh, throughout organizations. And we, we have continued to struggle. Now, what, why do we struggle? Well, we have governed our organizations and institutions and teams with, as I call it in the, in the book, junk theories of superiority. We try to justify superiority with all kinds of reasons. So I'm better than you based on my education or my money or my ethnicity or my gender or my athletic prowess or my beauty or my, it goes on and on and on. And all of those theories of superiority are patently false. They're all false. Or I've got a higher rank than you, or I've got more position or title or authority, it, it, it just, or uh, my political ideology is better than you, or my philosophy is better than you, my family's better than you, my neighborhood's better than you. This is what we do. So we create these divisions and these boundaries, and then uh, we, and, and then we struggle. So think about what's happening now. Is there, is, is there any way that you can justify Racism? Is there any way that you can justify racism? No, there's not. It's a junk theory of superiority. That's what it is. So when people get insecure, they grasp for some reason to elevate themselves and subordinate other people. And that's what we do. That's why inclusion safety is stage one. It's the baseline. It's the foundation. And why do we continue to struggle? Because we have leaders 
in organizations that continue to perpetuate and model these junk theories. And they tell themselves soothing stories about how important they are and how special they are. And they're a little bit more special than the next guy. Well, that's complete rubbish. But this is what we've been doing for centuries and millennia as human beings. And what's so fantastic, though, Tanvir, about what's happening now is because I've been talking to all kinds of leaders and executives over the last couple of weeks, they are, all of them are conducting an institutional examination of conscience at a deeper level, probably, than they have ever done in their entire lifetimes. And that is a good thing because we've got to get rid of the self-deception that we often swim in, in organizations. It's the only way, until we get honest, we can't overcome these things. And, and so I do think that the good news is that I see more unvarnished examination, more penetrating, more unsparing uh, self-inventory going on right now than I've seen perhaps in my lifetime. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. There's no question it's not an easy road that lies ahead for leaders and their organizations in terms of addressing the gender and racial disparities that continue to exist in so many workplaces. But as Timothy points out, it's not only doable, but we seem more open and willing now to roll up our sleeves and put in the work to make this happen. Now, whenever we talk about diversity and inclusion in today's workplaces, one of the topics that inevitably arises is the ongoing issue of a lack of women in leadership roles. Certainly, one of the things that's become very apparent as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic is how women leaders are beating out male leaders in being more successful in guiding their organizations and countries through this seemingly unending storm. In fact, I wrote a piece about New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern where I shared three leadership lessons we can learn from Prime Minister Ardern on how promoting a sense of belonging can help us drive change. I encourage you, to read that piece on my leadership blog as it will help give you a different perspective on how to view your change initiatives. So for this favorite moment from 2020, I want to go to episode number 54, where my guest Bonnie Marcus shares this important insight on what leaders need to do to get more women into their leadership development pipelines, which will benefit their organization, both in terms of its overall productivity, as well as for its bottom line. The first place to start is to, well, besides doing an assessment and finding out, you know, where your company is in, in relation to gender, gender equity and opportunities. I think the big missing piece is that companies don't really understand the women in their workforce. So you need to really ask the women themselves what they want and need to succeed. We make assumptions and then we build these programs or we buy these programs that fail because it's not really geared at what the unique challenges are of women in our industry in this company right now. So anything that's, you know, off the shelf or too generic that doesn't address what the concerns are in a particular company is destined, destined really to fail. Women want to know that they're being listened to, 
and that some of their challenges in advancing their career in this particular work environment um, are being addressed. Maybe it's more uh, flex time, but we don't know. Maybe it's more generous parental leave. But developing career paths, unique career paths for women over the long term so that they have perhaps the flexibility to opt out for a while or cut back for a while and come back in, that shows that the company is really invested in those women. And it's much more likely then that the women will be invested and committed to more of a long-range career because of it. Uh, a lot of companies, I think, make assumptions based on either you know, what they're reading or what another company does. It doesn't necessarily meet the needs of the women where they are. And that could really vary not only by company and leadership, but by industry. So what are some of the unique needs of the women in your workplace? And what do they want and need to succeed? I did a survey, I did a lot of research on women and ambition uh, right after I wrote this book. And I did that survey. I said, you know, what are some of the things that you need? Uh, and again, this was across different industries and, and demographics. But it was really interesting to see where this, you know, where, where women felt that they needed more support that their companies weren't providing that support. And it wasn't all about, I need more leadership skills. I need to be fixed. I need to have more executive presence. A lot of it was things that companies can really do to show that they're invested in the women and supporting them. And for my final favorite moment from 2020, I wanna share something from episode number 59, where I had the great pleasure of welcoming Stephen M. R. Covey to my show. Without question, being able to speak with Stephen was one of the highlights of this year, and I truly value the powerful insights he shared on how leaders can build and foster trust through their leadership. Obviously, Stephen gave me a lot of wonderful moments to share as highlights from this past year on this podcast, but I think this one offers some much-needed insight we all need to hear right now. Yes, great, great question. Um, because it is the roots, it is the foundation. And, and, um, and I'll also point this out, that when we do uh, trust surveys, like on a team or in a division, department, um, but you know, let me just simplify it. When we do a trust survey for a team, here's what we find. Everyone kind of assesses themselves in those four cores of credibility that I just mentioned. And then they assess their fellow team members in the same core, four cores of credibility. And we will typically find like a 30-point gap <laughs> between how people rate themselves in integrity. They see themselves on a 0 to 100 scale, you know, at a 95 or sometimes even 100%. I'm doing really well with integrity. And then they rate their fellow team members on how much integrity they have, and they, they put them down at a 60 or a 65, you know, 30-point 30, 30 gaps. And, and so um, – and these are – you know, so – it's, it's kind of human nature to think that we're doing pretty good, but everyone else could sure use more integrity. And, and uh, no one sees themselves as, you know, I don't have any integrity. So I think you're asking the right question of really kind of each of us looking in the mirror and saying, um, you know, this is the starting point, the roots of the tree, this integrity. 
And the stronger I can build that, that sense of clarity, integrity, power, the more trust I can build, the faster. And, and uh, it's immediate and it becomes apparent. And what often trips us up is kind of when we say one thing and then do another. When we say that, you know, I value this and then I do that. So I value collaboration and partnering and teaming. And yet I'm just being completely independent and scarcity in my thinking and not abundant. You know, that's, that's a misalignment between, you know, what I say I value and how I live my life. And, and um, um, you know, when it, so when, you, when there's a gap between what we say and what we do, that's a, that there, there's a, gonna be a gap in integrity. See, I get asked, what's the difference between honesty and integrity? So honesty is when your words match reality. You, you know, you're, you're telling the truth. Your words match the truth, the, the reality out there. Integrity is when your reality um, matches your words. That is, you are who you say you are. You do what you say you're going to do. So your reality, what you do, matches your words, what you say. And that's integrity. And oftentimes we can kind of have a gap there and we may not even be aware of it. And, and so um, that's, that is the right starting point. And I'm glad that you started with that because it's the most basic, it's the most foundational. And we all think we're probably doing really well here. And yet like the data shows in the surveys, maybe we're not quite doing as well as we thought, at least from the perspective of others. So we can all get better at that foundational element. Can I give one little story? I'll make it fast on this one. Sure. I'll, I'll never forget one time, um, Tanvir, I was teaching the five waves of trust and we took a break in a, in a, this was in a leadership development session at a, at a company. At the break, someone came up to me and said, hey, Stephen, this is really helpful because I realize now as you taught these five waves, especially that first wave, self-trust and integrity, I realize what my problem is. And I said, tell me more. He says, look, my whole life, I'm not happy with my career. I'm not where I thought I'd be in my life. Um, and I'm not where I thought I'd be in my career. And I've always blamed everybody else. You know, my, my first job, can't trust my boss. So I go to another job in the, in the same company, can't trust this new boss. Go to another company, can't trust the boss there. Can't trust the management, can't trust people. Come to my, home, my community, can't trust my neighbor. He goes, I don't even trust my kids. He goes, and so when you put up the five waves of trust, I realized my, I realized my problem. And then he kind of looked around to make sure nobody was looking. And then he leaned in and whispered to me and said these words, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. And I realize now I'm projecting that distrust of self out onto everybody else. It makes it me view the world through that I can't trust anyone because I don't trust myself. So what do I do? And my answer is what you've just identified, Tanvir, is that you've got to focus on self-trust and the, the heart, the starting point for self-trust is integrity. And the fastest way to build trust with yourself is to learn to, to, to make and keep commitments to yourself. Because it's interesting, the number one behavior that builds trust with other people is to make another person a commitment and to keep it. You want to build trust fast with others? Make and keep commitments with them. 
Guess what? That's the same way to build trust with yourself. Make and keep commitments to yourself. You do what you say you're going to do. And when you do that, especially in the little things, you know, I'm going to get up in the morning and exercise. Uh, you know, just in those little things, then you get a sense of clarity, of integrity, of power. You are who you say you are. You do what you say you're going to do. And from that um, flows all other dimensions of trust. But it starts with this key thing. And the, and the test of integrity is when, when it's hard, when it's difficult. Um, but you learn to make and keep commitments to yourself is a great way of improving that integrity, that self-trust. The reason why I wanted to share this moment is because you'll notice how it ties back to that moment I shared from Victoria. As Stephen points out that to build our integrity, we first need to build our self-trust. And the key to doing that is respecting the commitments we make to ourselves. And let's be honest, one of the commitments you've obviously made is to improve the way you lead, which is why you're listening to my leadership podcast and hopefully also reading my leadership blog as well. So if you want to be sure that you're leading with integrity and thereby fostering trust in your organization, honor that commitment you made to improve your leadership craft by taking action. And these moments I've shared provide you with a great place to start. From Victoria, you've learned why you need to make time for yourself, not just as a reward, but as a way to renew and revitalize yourself so you can be more present and bring your best efforts to your leadership. From Peter, you've learned what you should be measuring to not only get better clarity on employee productivity, but what will help you improve employee performance. And we learned from Timothy that the key to achieving that is creating an environment where all your employees feel safe, included, and welcomed to contribute their full selves to the organization and not just those skills and experiences you want from them to get the job done. And with all this clarity and new awareness, you can better appreciate what Bonnie had to say about how you can help get more women into your organization's leadership development programs so your organization can reap the rewards numerous studies have definitively proven arise when organizations increase their gender and ethnic diversity in their middle and senior leadership levels. And yes, while you may have to rely on digital communication channels like Zoom to connect and create that environment to bring out the best in those you lead, as Michael pointed out, these kinds of digital transformations to the way we work should simply be viewed as another means for us to achieve our goals. So those are some of my favorite moments for my podcast this year. And of course, there were many others, but including them would have easily made this an hour plus long episode. And I know you certainly had your favorites from this past year based on which episodes were the most listened to on the various platforms where you can catch this show. And I'll be sharing the top 10 episodes for 2020 of this podcast in a piece I'll be publishing on my leadership blog in mid-January. So if you're curious to know which episodes were the most popular with the audience, be sure to check out my leadership blog in January to find out. And I think that's a good spot for us to wrap up this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by my leadership firm, Tanvir Nasir Leadership. If you're looking for a leadership keynote speaker or corporate trainer for your next event, whether it's virtual or in person, I invite you to check out our services at tavernasir.com and see what people have to say about our work. 
In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you could share it with your colleagues and your network. The easiest way to do this is to simply direct them to our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. On our podcast page, you can listen to past episodes of our show, find links to our show notes, as well as links to subscribe to our show on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Pandora, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Audible. And if you'd really like to support our show, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review our show on your favorite platform. And with that, I'd like to wish all of you the very best for the holidays and for 2021. We have a lot of wonderful guests already lined up for next year, so I hope you'll continue to join me as we explore the field of leadership and how leaders can successfully overcome the challenges they face, as well as discover those hidden opportunities to drive their organization's growth and success. I'm Tavern Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.